Dead Bodies is not for the squeamish and is intended for mature audiences. Can I go first this time? Because my my stuff is not great. Like yours will be better than Don't mine. Don't say it's not great at the start <laughs> of the episode because then people will go, well, shit, I'll go to the next episode. <laughs> well, no, it's it's fun, but it's not. It's just like, oh, well, Stop I'll Stop talking it about is. it and tell it because like, people are okay. going to... So there was a story the other day about a little girl that had gone missing and uh, she was in India and her parents looked everywhere. I was actually in the Times of India. I don't know what I was doing reading the Times of India, but I was anyway. A uh, four-year-old girl Looking she was. stories that you could do accents with. Yep. <laughs> mm, where is that daughter? Oh, no. Nah, you're you're, you're mm. being offensive. You're being offensive. <laughs> Why is that offensive? I don't know. I've done all the accents. Why would I not do the... Okay. Just okay. tell your story. So anyway... Uh, I, in the town of, I won't even put a Dowsa district, Bandiyuki, Bandikui town. So she was missing. The police were called in. Everyone's frantic. Where's our daughter? No, we, it's offensive. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> it's not offensive. It's just not. I'll Do we never have get a job. In India? <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Probably didn't until then. Anyway, it was really good news because it turned out after the police were called in and everything, they did a th- search for three hours. CCTV. And they said, let's just have one more look around the house, which they did. She was asleep under the bed. Oh. Turns out she, Dad had given her a bath, and a, I think after lunchtime, and for some reason she crawled under the bed. For a snooze. For a snooze. Um, so she was alive. But got me to thinking, were there ever dead bodies found under beds? Because there's an urban legend mm. about dead bodies being found under beds in motels. What? Yes. Don't they vacuum under there? Well, probably not in some motel. I mean, you've I'm heard... a real panicker in hotels. <laughs> when I leave, I'm a real panicker. What do you panic like about? Like I have to check. Like so, for dedicated listeners, you all know, I recently went to Europe, and when we Nicholas is also like this, we panic. So we pack all our stuff, <laughs> yes. and then we take it outside the room, and then he does a check, and then I do a check, and then we leave. To make sure I haven't left anything behind, so I'm just saying. Good idea. My husband and I were in, I think we were in Singapore, and we got home and our car was in the long-term car park, and you know how long it takes for age. You've got to ride that little bus. Yeah. We got out. We've gone, right, let's start the car. Oh, where are the keys? Turned out, Singapore. No. Yes. Yes, they were. <laughs> See, if we were travelling with you, we would have taken the suitcases it's out, terrible. done the double check, mm. you would have been good. I thought you were going to be one of those people. And Lisa Rinner, do you watch The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills? No. Oh, I love it. And Lisa Rinna, when she gets to a hotel room, even if it's, you know, five star and penthouse and all the rest. No, she gets her wet wipes out, her disinfectant wipes. She wipes everything, the phone. Have you ever seen where they go into hotel rooms and motel rooms with the blue light and it lights up any organic matter? Mm. Never lie on top of that bedspread. Ever. Go for the sheets that have been washed. Okay, so there is an urban legend Everyone seems to know someone who knows someone whose cousin's sister-in-law's neighbour stayed at a motel and found a dead body under the bed. So is there any truth to that rumour? There's actually a book about urban legends called The Baby Train by Jan Harold Brunvand. Yeah. He says... Doing accents and then there's offending entire communities. You've offended two. I did German in high school. Okay. I'm laughing too much to do it. He says... The dead body found under the hotel bed legend was first heard in 1991 
So every version that he checked out mentioned a particular hotel in Las Vegas, but there was a lack of checkable details. So he doubts that it's actually true at all. I don't think it's true. But these ones are. All right. There were two crime-ridden motels on East 87th Street in Kansas City. Crime-ridden hotels don't count. (laughs) They've been demolished now. But according to the local council, they were the number one places. If ever there was a crime call, the cops needed to go straight there for several years. And... On July the 15th, 2003, the Orlando Sentinel reported that a man complained for three days about a foul odour in his room and he checked out because he couldn't tolerate the smell anymore. The staff lifted the mattress on the bed and found the body, which had been concealed by wooden panels. There's a motel like that in Melbourne and I won't say which one it is because they'll sue me for defamation, where a couple of times I'd been out there for shootings. Yes. And I don't know why I was Googling it, but I Googled it and its TripAdvisor reviews came up. Yeah. And it were, they were the shittest reviews ever. They were like, <laughs> went for a swim, found a razor blade in the pool. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, but then other people, to be funny, had left really good reviews. Oh. Like, <laughs> so people it was like a palace. <laughs> it was so, it was the worst motel ever. Look, there's another one, uh, 1999, uh, 64-year-old Saul Hernandez was discovered inside the bed in room 112 at the Burgundy Motor Inn in Atlantic City, New Jersey. A German couple had spent the night sleeping over his <gasps> remains, no. not knowing he was there. They complained to the manager about the smell. Manager went in, checked, there was a corpse. Uh, July 1996. <laughs> checked, yep, there's a corpse. A woman's body was found under a mattress in the Colorado Boulevard Travel Lodge in Pasadena, California. Apparently the motel's staff found her 10 days after she died. Oof. And only after guests had complained about the a foul odour coming from her room. So they weren't actually in the same room, but they no one checked it. her room. Yeah, um, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 1994. Hotel staff found the body of 47-year-old Brian Gregory tucked under a platform bed. They had noticed a strange smell, but they only set about looking for the source after a German couple spent the night in that room. What's with German couples? Well, I'm now so suspicious of German couples because there's two, and there's even a third one with a German couple. Where did you get this from? Well, just Googling. In March that same year, the body of, I feel bad to say the name now because I have a note of laughter in my voice and that's disrespectful. I won't say her name, but the body of a woman was found underneath the bed. At the Travellers Hotel near Miami International Airport, again, a German tourist was upset about the odour in his room. You know what it could be? Maybe German people are quite forthright. Maybe other people notice the smells. And don't say anything. Don't say anything. Maybe the German people are quite... Maybe. Yeah. Do you want more? It just goes on and on and on. This is why I I said mine was not good. Think about if you worked... So my aunt owns a hotel in another country, mm-hmm. and I always ask her for freaky stories about hotels because people there would go – there are t- three places people lose their minds. <laughs> I just thought of – I don't know why I've been explaining to me tonight. Okay, so this is sort of related but not really. A friend of mine who's a doctor <laughs> – Oh, shit, she's lost it. You know those bowel screening tests yeah. that they said that you wouldn't have to do one because you're not old enough. When you get to 50, you get sent this bowel screening test in the mail. Both yeah. of you nod as though you know what it is, but you don't because you're both too young. I've Thank had you a colonoscopy. Oh, did you have to do that in your, when you do it? Okay, when I so, woke up, you know what the doctor said to me? What? He complimented me on how clean my colon was. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Well, with the 
that you have to put like a piece of tissue paper in the toilet and then you have to go take a little swab of it and put it in a test tube and send it off to be tested. Did you have to do that? Well, I did it after I got barley belly, but they told me to... to, Oh, you you use an ice cream container. My doctor friend... (laughs) You scoop a bit out and (laughs) pop it off, but you've got to take it straight away. Otherwise, you've got to keep it in your fridge. Oh, yes, you do. You don't want to keep your shit in the fridge. I know. No, and you have to label it with your name, and that's so embarrassing. Because think what if the postman falls over and it spills out? We keep digressing, but you know I had... We keep digressing. This story started one way, but I'm going to tell another story. I had a doctor who was obsessed with urine samples. Didn't matter. It doesn't matter what. I'd be like, my arm's sore. He'd go, we're going to need a urine sample. Go do a urine sample. One time he said, oh, we're going to have to check if there's blood in your in your urine. Urine, I don't know how I'm saying it now. Yes. And I said, oh, well, it's that time of the month. And yes. He, he goes, Oh, we'll get one anyway. My friend Catherine. I stopped going to him. I don't know if he was like, what he was doing, was he sniffing them or making money out of them? I don't, oh, I don't know, know, but I stopped going to him. My friend Kath Franklin, when she was little, she got raced off to hospital because there was blood in her urine or so yeah. her mother. I thought they tested her. Apparently she'd been drinking the beetroot juice. <laughs> I can't remember where we were. I can't remember either. Okay. Oh, no. So what I was going to say to you was my, my doctor friend said that she knows someone that works at the bowel screening place where all yeah. the poo samples arrive. <laughs> Dee has lost it. We're going to get so many complaints. One star rating, one star rating. Dee laughs too much, one star rating. Oh, and I got told off for laughing in the first one too. Okay. So apparently... <laughs> A few moments later. She's crying. Didi is bent over, crying. Hysterical. People put notes in with the poo. <laughs> they put <laughs> to say what? Sorry, know. it stinks. I don't know. She knows. She works with to shit all day. Themselves, they try and explain and they, s- <laughs> <laughs> they say, oh, I'm sorry. I ate-, <laughs> I ate curry on Thursday. I'm so sorry. No, they don't. <laughs> they do. And I seriously, I thought for a moment, can we start a whole new podcast just doing that? Because wouldn't that be the best? I'm seriously a poo pod. Because you know how when I had to send my poo off, and I'm not saying that I'm some famous person that everyone knows, right? I'm not saying that because I think I act like the least. Oh, my God. I don't think Chanel I, Bella's poo. That's what I thought, right? I thought, what if they if they watch Channel 7 News or something and then they go... Oh, well, <laughs> well I can remember gross, thinking, because poppy seeds come out, I can remember do. thinking, do I include the poppy seed or is that, is that, <laughs> do I include it? Why are you going to scoop around it? Well, I don't know. Well, we are having one or two little problems at the moment. It won't be too long before we're with tonight's episode of Dead Bodies. Well, we seem to have the problem corrected now, so let's return to the program. We've lost it on this episode. I don't know where we've gone. So I can't remember where we were at. Dead bodies. My nose is running. Dead bodies under the bed. Um, Oh, that's where we were. Look, there's so many more of them, and I feel like it's just boring now to do them. Wait, no, I was going to say three. (laughs) Not that it even matters. I don't know if it matters anymore. What? Three places people lose their minds. Yes. Airports. Yes. Airplanes. Yes, I lose my mind. Yeah. Hotels. I don't. All common sense gone. Yeah. Um, so there is – look, it's such, so much of a, an urban legend that there is actually a film that was made in 1995 called Four Rooms and um, 
It's got Quentin Tarantino, another mm. famous folk in it. It's based on the writings of Roald Dahl. So I wonder if this is where the urban legend came from. It's set in the Hotel Monsignor in Los Angeles on New Year's Eve, and it's um, I think it's got a dead body under the bed. Is that the worst story I've ever told? That was a pathetic effort from me. Let's see if you can do better. Shanel Vella, she said, that straightening her papers just, and getting on we with went. things. We lost our minds with that. <laughs> so I think I helped someone commit a crime. Oh. Yeah. That, uh, it doesn't surprise me, actually. Yeah. So I was going to get my hair done, mm. and I won't say what suburb I was in, but it's a suburb that has some dodgy areas. Mm. Oh, it's, okay. it's St Kilda. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I lived there for 10 years. Yeah. You can call okay. it dodgy. Right? So I'm sitting in this car park and I had a little bit of time to kill and I had to reply to some emails. So I was sitting in my car doing that. And then I looked up and I saw a guy with a coat hanger jabbing it at the boot of a car. Oh. And I was, I don't know why my suspicious, I thought to myself, is he trying to break into that car? That looks really weird. And then I thought, no. He's not. And that, my mind went, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. See how your mind straight away won't let you think the worst thing. Yeah. And you said you were like, you're I'm a, a, I, I'm a, and I'm cynical. I go negative straight away. I go negative, but you, we still don't. Well, so then think- I, I got, I don't even know why I did this. It was probably dumb. I got out of the car and I went over to him and I said, have you locked your keys in the boot? And he goes, oh, yeah, I have. Oh, Chanel. I know. And he goes. And then he pulled a knife and killed you. No. Well, that could have happened. I know that was dumb, wasn't it? Yes. So then he says, "I've managed to hook them with this coat hanger in the boot." So he shoved a coat hanger in there and hooked them. And he goes, "Can you see?" And he it was an old shitty car. Yeah. And he showed me he was pulling the keys and one like his house key had come out of the boot. Yeah. But the car key was still there. And then I said to him, all right, you try to lift the boot a little and I'll try to rip the keys out. And as I, he lifted, I pulled. And as I pulled, the keyless entry went doot doot and the doors unlocked. Yeah. On the car. So then he quickly ran around, pressed the boot button. We got the keys out. Yes. But then I thought to myself, that was... He's a car thief. Well, I could have helped him steal a car. What do you reckon? No, nah, well, the keys were in the boot, so I think I think he was legit. But that was... Stop trying to right? sound more, you know, hip to the groove, more... Are you trying to be like, I'm so cool, I rode here on a motorbike, I've committed a crime, look out for me, I'm so cool, I'm Chanel Vella. No, I'm just saying I was in a dodgy area and there was a guy with a coat hanger oh, who was bloody trying to get into the car, but it, it, made more, me, you know. it made me think about... People who have unwill, unknowingly helped evil people. Oh. So I went on a bit of a search and I found this story, which is actually quite recent. Um, and it's uh, a story about a man who, uh, his name is Carlos Cruz Ichivaria. I'm saying that wrong, but I'm not going to be you and try and say it. Um, now, he was fatally shot outside his home. And he was trying to assist a motorist whose vehicle was stuck in a ditch. So that motorist was a 24-year-old man who'd been hired to kill him. Oh, what? Yeah. So this man, Carlos, was a witness to a road rage incident and he was going to testify and obviously there were people who didn't want him to testify. Mm. So they sent... 
this man whose uh, name is Benjamin Bascom. Uh, they sent him to conduct surveillance on the home of Carlos. Mm. And when he was on his way there, his truck or the vehicle he was in got stuck in a ditch. Yeah. And Carlos has seen him and thought, oh, there's a guy whose car's stuck in a ditch. Yeah. I'm going to go help him. No, don't help him. I know. Too late. He pulls up and they shoot him. Wow. They, it was just opportunity and he was there and they thought, Goodness oh, well, gracious. he's come to us. The officer who looked after this called them a bunch of animals. There were actually three people involved mm. in it um, and human garbage. The police officer said, I've been a cop for 32 years. This is one of the most heinous, despicable, cowardly acts that I've ever witnessed. And it is also some of the greatest police work I've ever witnessed in my career. So they tracked all these people down and worked out what had happened and why. I love it when uh, the authorities tell it like it is. I do too. Have you listened to the new serial podcast series? So series three is out and they've in the courts in, I think, Cleveland, and there's judges telling people off and all sorts of stuff, behind the scenes stuff. Mm. Mm. Well, and he says, you've got a pack of animals who once again illustrate that human life is cheap on the street. A road rage incident where a man does what he's supposed to do, notify the police, cooperate with the system, and his thanks is to end up with multiple bullets in his head, killed just outside his home. Mm, all three of them are facing first-degree murder charges. Yeah, so they should. Mm. Wow. Gosh, isn't it? Oh, poor guy. I know. I never pull over for anyone. I had a guy once walk out into the middle of the road, try to wave me down. I kept driving. I just think we don't think the worst. Remember, we had an incident here where we were both I'm leaving. I'm not victim blaming, by the way. I'm just saying I think because of what I do, I just never, ever. Yeah. I but never then I stop. did a dumb thing. Remember, we were both, we're, this is a secure building we're in. We were leaving. Mm. There's security everywhere. And there was someone blocking the gates for us to get out of the car park. So instead of calling security and saying there's a car blocking the exit, I got out and started walking down the ramp to go down and talk to them. Yes. Yeah, have see? a chat. They could have it could have been anyone or anything. Could have. Dumb. Mm. Now, if Kirsten will just compose herself, I think we probably should have our phone caller on the line. Hello, Katie. Hi, is that Dee Dee? It is Dee Dee, yes. Hi, and it's Chanel. She can tell Hi our... Chanel, how are you going? <laughs> you can tell our voices. Um, <laughs> so we, we first met you on Twitter. And yep. you wrote us a very nice message and then I told you to email us and you did and I've refused to read the email because we've got you here to tell the story. Oh, you've oh, missed right. – hang, hang on, before you get into that, you missed all the good stuff mm. because additional to Katie's actual story, it, when she said, hi, hi, I'm Katie, in her email, she says, uh, fun dead body fact <laughs> – um, I'm in. Uh, I live just down the road from where Gron- uh, John Christianos's body was discovered this year, also yep. called the body in the bin. Oh. Yep. I won't lie, I completely changed my dog walking route after that. What I need to know is, did you change the dog walking route towards where that incident happened or away from it? Oh, no, just in general. Um, I don't really walk my dogs that often anyway, so that was a bit of an exaggeration. (laughs) (laughs) We're all about the exaggeration here. We make things bigger than they actually are. That's what she said, my children would say. 
Thank you, Barbara. Thank you. No, Kirsten Luck. No, there you go. I'm I'm acutely aware of the fact that my boss, for some reason, hasn't gone home yet, and he's right across the hallway from me. So I'm sort of sitting there going, oh, you should have gone home already. (laughs) So what kind... kind, Now, we're protecting your identity. We won't use your surname, but what kind of work do you do, Katie? Um, So I'm a researcher in computational science, so data science specifically. Okay, so you're smarter smarter than Chanel and I. Uh, No, hardly, hardly. So um, you had an encounter. Well, okay, tell us the story that you told us in the email. Okay, so do you want the full thing? Yeah. I haven't read your email. I know nothing. So I wanted wanted to go in cold. No, no dramas. Okay, so once upon a time, um, as all good stories start, um, I really wanted to be a doctor when I was younger. And my mum is an emergency, well, she was an ED nurse at the time, and she was really not happy about this, and she wanted me to reconsider. Um, So she said to me, why don't you become a nursing assistant or a patient care assistant, which is what they're called in WA, I'm from Perth. Um, and I got really excited about this. I was like, yeah, great. I'll do my certificate three in patient care assistance. And that's what I did. So it was a great job, um, particularly for a uni student. So you get a call from the agency about two, maybe, you know, between two and five. And they tell you which hospital or nursing home and you'd head off. And that was it. You, you wouldn't know where you were going. Sometimes it was ED. Sometimes it was a ward. AED um, is... Oh, emer- oh, emergency department. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So... Um, you would go where the coordinator sent you and um, there was lots of different things that needed to be done. But the shifts I usually did were night shifts and we would do what was called um, a specialing shift. So on these shifts, we'd sit with um, patients who, for whatever reason, needed to be supervised quite closely. Um, And often they were patients with dementia. Um, Sometimes the patients had had um, a psychotic episode. Sometimes they may have had suicidal ideations. So... Lots of different reasons that we're sitting with patients. But um, for a lot of the time, just sort of sat there while they slept. So it was a really good opportunity to study. Um, (laughs) And a little bit creepy. A bit creepy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. It actually was thinking about it, particularly in this instance. So this night I get a call quite late, probably about 8 or 9 at night, and they said, "Um, can you come to what was then one of the major hospitals in the middle of Perth? I'm not going to say it because I don't want to get in trouble. Um, and uh, I said, well, I'm going to be an hour late because it was so close to such shift. And they were like, no, 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 come when you can. That's fine. We can't get anyone. So I made my way there and I, um, I went to the coordinator's office and they sent me up to the acute ward, which I'd never worked on before. So it was a roundabout handover. So the, the shifts were changing and the nurses were doing the notes. And the nurses who were heading home told me, okay, you're going in this room, um, your patient is um, an elderly Aboriginal gentleman, he's got end-stage liver disease and he's pretty much unconscious. Mm. Um, so, very sad. And so, I was a bit really confused of what I was doing there at the start, but um, I went into the room and he was this tiny guy. Um, he was really emaciated and he was so jaundiced. He was fluorescent. Um, he was probably only about 50 but he looked much older because he um, had been an alcoholic and that's how he'd gotten liver disease. And, yeah. Yeah. Gee whiz, yeah. Yeah, pretty bad. Um, so I sort of went in and he wasn't, you know, he wasn't with it. So I sort of squeezed his hand and said, hi, I'm Katie. I'm going to be sitting with you tonight. Um, and sort of sat down and, and that was it. 
Do, um, did he respond at all, Katie? No, not really. He he'd made some sort of moaning sounds earlier, but so he was alive. Yeah, definitely alive. Okay. Definitely alive. Just not very alive. I don't know. And did you um, normally touch people's hands and tell them who you are? Is that part of what you had to do, or did you do it um, because it's, you felt like it was the nice thing to do? Uh, to sort of frame it, I was only 19 at the time. It's not like, you know, I'd had any formal training on what was appropriate. But yeah. when you see someone in that state, you sort of just go with what you think is the right thing to do. And, yeah, um, yeah so considering I didn't think you could do, you know, that's just sort of what you do. Yeah, mm. really um, nice. so, so I sat down and um, no one had come in uh, for about two hours, which is really not normal. Usually the nurses are coming in and doing um, observations around so obs, um, every so often, but no one had come in, so I was a bit confused. And I, I went up to the, the nurse's station and there were two nurses um, two guys, and they were sort of just playing on their phones. And um, I said, oh, so what's the story with my patient? And one of them really nonchalantly just goes, oh, his daughter tried to kill him today, and you've <gasps> got to stop that happening. <laughs> what so, happened? Okay, so it turns out that the, the guy's daughter, who um, was six foot tall and 140 kilograms, had come in and taken a pillow and tried to smother her dad. Um, and it had taken two security guards to pull her off and escort her off the ground. And my job was to either stop her from doing it again or to call security. <laughs> and, and are you six foot tall and 140 pounds as well? I am 55 kilograms and 161 That's centimetres. That's not a fair fight. And was she? And do you think? Do you think, Katie, looking back now, she was trying to smother him in a I can't bear to see you suffering kind of a way or oh, I hate your guts kind of way? Do you know what? I've actually never thought about that, but um, considering his background, probably the latter. Oh, goodness gracious. I don't, I don't think he'd been a Wait, great father. What? <laughs> I'm shocked. Well, so, okay, they oh. tell you. Yeah, so you're the security guard, non-security guard for a very large woman who might come and kill this patient, and then you say, um, "Okay." Uh, <laughs> so I just sort of went back to the room and um, did something really kind of regretful. I actually took my chair out of the room and sat outside the room with the theory of if she comes, I can leg it rather than getting <laughs> stuck in the room with her. Yeah. So, well, I want uh, to see her coming, right? Not yeah, I'm confronted. Much, yeah. Yeah. And his room was right down the end of the ward, closest to the entrance, but furthest away from the nurse's station as well. So I was sort of on my own. <laughs> and she didn't turn up, right? No, she didn't turn up. Which oh. was so what happened um, with him then? Okay, so, um, you know, I'm sitting outside the room and I'm checking on him again every 15 minutes. And after a while, his breathing becomes really laboured. And because I'd been studying biomed, I theoretically knew what the stages of dying were and I theoretically knew what that sound meant. Um, mm. When you're close to death, your breathing pattern changes and a lot of people have a breathing pattern called um, chain soaking. Um, it's also known as the death rattle um, and it's pretty distinctive and it will go from being maybe you know, these, these large gasps that um, extend further and further apart, so up to, you know, maybe two, two and a half minutes um, before the patient dies. Um, and that sound started happening, so oh. I was sort of like, oh, here we go. But I wasn't really sure, so 
I went up again to the nurses because I was only a teenager and I went, um, sorry, this is happening. And they went and checked on him and they're like, yep, he's going to die tonight. <gasps> again, really oh. casually. Oh, God. Wait, had you ever seen a dead body? No, no. I, like, I had just turned 19. <laughs> oh, my goodness gracious. But they obviously have and seen oh, it happen. so calm about it. <laughs> so did you stay with him? Yeah, so I went back in and I sat with him and, again, was holding his hand and, I wrote this in the email to you guys, but I was sitting there going, oh, it's okay, you'll be okay. Aww. Clearly you won't because you're Aww. going to die, but still. Um, so this breathing became further and further apart, and eventually it had been about a minute and a half before he'd take the, like, um, between breaths. And I thought, oh, no, he's died. Oh, okay. Um, and I was so emaciated I couldn't get a pulse when he was alive. So I held my hand up to his, his nose, to see if I could feel a breath, and there wasn't a breath. And like I said, his eyes were wide open and the moonlight was hitting them and they were like, you know, fluoro highlighters. They were so yellow. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, okay, he's passed away. I'll, you know, I'll close his eyelids in a dignified way. And I'm doing that hand action that Chanel that she does, but I'm trying to do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I went to lean in to close his eyes and he suddenly goes... Um. <laughs> Like this, and I, I squealed and jumped back, and I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> sorry." He's back. Um, yeah, he's back. Sorry. Um, this went on for another two hours, not not <gasps> me jumping up and down, but his breathing becoming further and further apart and two more like Yeah, it takes ages to die. Um, so finally, he hadn't taken a breath for ages, and um, I went and instead of putting my hand up against his nose this time, I decided to get the teaspoon that was sitting next to the bed. Yes. And here's me holding the teaspoon to this poor guy's nose yep. to check if there's any condensation, and there wasn't, and, yep, he passed away. So um, I closed his eyes, and I tucked him in, and I stuck my head around the corner, and sort of, I was really shy back then. I was like, excuse me, excuse me, I think he's passed away. Can you come and check? Oh, no. <laughs> so they came and checked, and they were like, yep, he's dead, and they called the doctor. So, Aww. yeah. Oh, Katie, yeah. I think you're so sweet. <laughs> no way. And you kept doing like in the movies, closing oh, his eyes. Is I that... know. <laughs> Wait, uh, but and then what time was that? Okay, so this is this is the next bit. This is um, this was probably about oh, just after three in the morning. It was three fifteen ish, and I asked if I could pop downstairs for some fresh air, and so yeah. I I did that, and I I went down downstairs and was sitting on the wall outside the hospital. And one of the nurses came down and was sort of just standing there. And he goes, um, so can I just check what time he died? And I was like, oh, yeah, it's interesting. And he goes, yeah, the beer is all mine. And <gasps> I was so confused. And it turns out his, uh, the other nurse and him were housemates. And they'd taken a bet on what time this guy would die. Sorry. <laughs> That sounds so awful, but on the other side, I get it. And we got in trouble for laughing at stuff in the first interview. People are taking bets. But this is interesting because people who are surrounded by death, who deal with death, they have their own ways of coping, and that's their thing. You know, no judgment here. Okay, so then you go home. Sorry, no, I didn't go home yet. I had to go back upstairs. I um I went back upstairs and we had to wait for the nurse unit manager. So she's the the boss nurse on charge, um in charge. Sorry, and she came round um and I was expecting to go back upstairs and see yeah. again in the movies because I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, a white sheet pulled over him or something. But no, it's just it's just there. Just there. And uh, the doctor wasn't there, and I thought the doctor would come up and find you know the time of death and all of that. But it's a Saturday night, 
So the doctors are going to deal with the living patients, not the dead patients. I suppose, yeah. And um, my mum since told me, yeah, the declaration of death doesn't get signed until um, the doctor arrives. So apparently that's around 6 a.m. But the the nurse unit manager came up and, you know, she said, well, you can go home now. Your patient's dead. Oh, not right. So apparently you don't get paid after that either. <laughs> but, um, but she goes, oh, you, you didn't. And this has, been a, this has been a big thing. I've talked about this with my, my friends over the last couple of days. Um, she goes, you didn't sit in the room when he died, did you? And I went, yeah, I was, I was, he was dying. I was holding his hand, you know, really confused. She goes, oh, you shouldn't have done that. How come why? She goes, well, he's Aboriginal. He still has soul or something like that. And I was horrified. She was implying that I'd gone against the custom. And oh, apparently, you know. I didn't know. No. And, and I, you know, she got, I'd gone against the custom and it should have been family members only. But, oh, you know, how are you meant to yeah. know? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Did you get Maccas on the way home or something? Did you? No, this was like the worst bit. It was nearly four o'clock in the morning and Perth, the bloody trains don't start running until five um, on a Sunday morning. This was nearly 10 years ago. Um, so I got to sit in the hospital in the like, you know, no. just outside the hospital and wait. <laughs> well, his ghost was still floating around. Oh. oh, well, apparently his ghost was sitting in the office with me, according to some of my friends at the moment. So. Oh, oh, really? Oh, no, God. I don't know. I would have been like double quarter pounder meal with nuggets and a large Coke and yes, a please. soft serve to eat on the way home. Yeah, definitely. Just to comfort definitely. yourself. But, Katie, do you know what? Isn't it lovely that you were you were able to be there, you know, be someone obviously who wasn't going to try and murder him uh, <laughs> with him? I, because I'm now wondering who loved him if those who should have loved him were trying to kill him. Yeah. Um, yeah and, do you have, and do you think about him ever? Um. Actually, I do a little bit because we do a lot of work um, over here in the department. There's a few of the researchers working with various Aboriginal communities, and this story always comes up. Um, so, you know, just sort of that's my little story, and it always comes up. But, yeah, um, mm-hmm. I can't remember his name, though, which is really sad. <laughs> that's all right. Katie? Mm-hmm. Um, go back to your data analyst analytic. Uh, oh, yeah. Go back Queen, to being cleaning data, De- <laughs> defragging uh, computer science, um, MS DOS. I yeah. have no idea. Not a doctor. Not a doctor. <laughs> what all that stuff is, because I don't know what that is. Thank you so much for talking to us. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. On the next episode of Dead Bodies. This was the horror of Jonestown. People working with this disaster not only had an overwhelming psychological difficulty of facing that many dead people, but the condition of the remains was just horrific for them. In a period of one week, some remains had completely skeletonised. You could take a skull, for example, and just literally wipe the flesh right off it. Dead Bodies is created by D.D. Dunleavy and Chanel Vela and produced by Kirsten Lim Howe. Contact us at deadbodiespodcast at gmail.com.